0: Thanks for coming out today. I want to say happy Father's Day to the fathers, of course. And if there was a time in which we needed fathers to step up to the plate, today's the day. So uh, thank you for all of you. And, And you know something? I want to tell you how encouraged I am as I watch you fathers doing such a marvelous job. Keep up the good work. Yeah, we need you. We need you very much. Well, we're continuing on this uh, summer with our look at uh, psalms. I I personally have been enjoying the guest speakers that we have. Everybody's got just a little different flavor, and I like that. I love for truth to be uh, brought forth. And we're discovering that the psalms, even as uh, Pastor Corey introduced it to us, we're discovering that the psalms really do address most of our life situations, whether they be joyous, whether they be difficult, and they're all basically brought back under one common theme, and that is God is the answer. God is available. God is the source in all of that. And so we appreciate that so much. I think there's something wonderful, of course, about being a Christian. I love to be around Christians who are celebrating their faith, who are filled with joy, who have peace. Who define with clarity their relationship with God. I I just don't know of any more joyous place for me to be than that. But yet, we all realize that because we are multifaceted in our makeup, you know, physical and we're spiritual, we're mental, we're social, sometimes, sometimes it falls apart. Sometimes, physically, we get. A serious sickness, and we have to deal with that. And sometimes we have breakdowns socially, and sometimes we have emotional breakdowns. We have hard times trying to sort our way through all that is going on. That's really what the uh, psalmist is talking about in these two psalms here, which probably could just as well be one psalm uh, because of the common theme that is running throughout. But what he's addressing today in his own personal way is how he dealt with um, a time of depression, a time of discouragement, of despair. And I, I think that it's a relevant subject for most. Uh, about 5% of the world's population deal with depression on a regular basis. It's interesting to note that in some parts of the world during this recent uh, COVID. Sickness that we've had, the normal depression was 8.6% in America. It went up over 25% during that period of time. Uh, People just became depressed. And there's so many different angles that depression can come to us in. It can it can be through unexpected death or even a prolonged death of a loved one. It can be loss of something, loss of a job, loss of uh, reputation. Uh, you know, there are many, many ways that it can come to us. And it really doesn't matter how mature we are in our faith. It doesn't matter how many years we've walked with God. All of us at different times can be subject to discouragement or depression. It happens. And I would dare say that everyone in here has had some bout with depression. Maybe it's lasted a few days, maybe it's lasted weeks, or maybe it's lasted even over a year or longer. You've had that. You know what that's like. You know what that dark night of the soul looks like. I think of um, Elijah Elijah, you know, he's, uh, without any question, was a man's man. He's bold, and he he would speak out to the issues, and he had a confrontation with the false God of Baal and all of the false prophets, and we read about that in 1 Kings, and he was triumphant uh, with the power of God and the display of God for the glory of God. It was all manifested there in a marvelous way. And uh, he prayed a bold prayer because it was an opportunity to declare who the true and living God really is. And then we discovered there that in the 19th chapter that uh, Ahab tells Jezebel, his wife, that uh, what had had transpired, because she was a champion of the God of Baal, and what had transpired to the 450 prophets that had been destroyed. Uh, She was really angry here's the amazing thing Elijah had stood up against all of these prophets and in a national profile there and was victorious and then he learned that Jezebel was after him and he ran now understanding the nature of Jezebel perhaps you would do the same but he ran he ran that uh, to flee from her ran a whole day. Probably, I think the distance would have been about 18 miles. And then he was sitting under a juniper tree. And then he said, these were his words, it is enough now. Oh Lord, take my life for I'm not any better than my father's. I just want to die. Ever been there? He was. And I love God's gracious heart in response to that because he was assisted by God in the sense that he was allowed to rest, he was got food, he was allowed to rest again to get food, and he was renewed. But he was depressed. He was depressed so much so that he wished to die. Jeremiah is another one that experienced depression. And Jeremiah is, we all recognize him as the weeping prophet, contemporary with Isaiah, a time of great judgment that was falling upon the uh, nation of Israel and it was not it was hard to be a prophet at that time because what he was saying in the contrast to the false prophets that were there he was saying what they're what they're telling you these false prophets is not true god is going to judge our nation he's going to take you into captivity and he had to say that over and over again it was not good news it was judgment And he became discouraged in the midst of that. And we find in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah, he says, "'Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, "'A child is born, your son. "'May that man be like the towns "'that God overthrew without pity.'" May he hear, May he hear wailing in the morning and a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame, <laughs> and if you miss his point there you can go to the book of Lamentations, which is also penned by Jeremiah, and Lamentations gives you an idea what it's about, even by the title. But here he goes on, and he's saying that everything that's going on with the nation of Israel is affecting him as well. And he's brought to the point of discouragement. He's broken. His strength is gone. He, is, he's, he feels that he's going to perish. But I do love the fact that he says, so I say, finally, he turns away from all of the the despair there. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from God. Hope of relief in God's mercy. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers, and it is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. And then it goes on to say, therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. I love the fact that he, like the psalmist here, defines his situation and what brought him to that point of despair. But he also knows the solution, and His solution is to turn to God. So we want to look at this because I think that we have some very clear instruction. You may not be going through a time of depression now. You may have come out of a time of depression, or you may know someone who is in it. You're going to, you're going to find some things here in the Word that will give us assistance in knowing how to deal with this. The really, these two chapters are broken down in uh, conversations that are taking place here. There are three people or three groups of people that are participating in the conversation. One, the psalmist is talking to God. Two, the world is talking to the psalmist. Three, the psalmist is talking to himself. That's stated in uh, the, the fact that he talks to himself. It's stated in verse 5 of chapter 42, verse 11 of 42, and verse 5 of 43. Those are the three breakdowns of this. And, uh, and we see this pattern repeated, and it's important in terms of what each section deals with. So first of all, we see that the psalmist had a deep desire to be with God. He wanted to know God more. I, I love this. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, oh God. He's talking to God now. He said, God, my deep desire is to know you. Now, I, I think he had a, an understanding of God. But he also understood that the wealth of God is far beyond anything he had comprehended at that point. And he was eager to pursue God even more deeply. He wanted to know. No matter what others were around him were doing, he alone wanted to do that. In fact, there were others who were saying otherwise. But And he goes on in verse 2. He said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I come and appear before God. When am I going to do that? So what's happening here is is that even though He's manifested a deep uh, driving passion to know God better. God is silent. You ever been there? It's he's saying nothing. He's giving no answers. Now he's not required to do so. Most often he does. Most often he does speak to us, but sometimes he's silent. We just finished studying chapter 45 of Isaiah on um, Wednesday morning, and it says right there in verse 15 that God is silent. There are times in our lives that God is silent. Now, I, I think there's reasons for that. I think that so that we don't learn to depend upon our emotions only as a way with God or depend upon the immediate what we get from God, but we have to learn to say, God if I know no more, if you speak no more, you're enough i can I can rest in that in that process, but he was eager to know more. nothing was coming to him. The people around him, this is where the outside conversation comes in in verse three. He says, "My tears have been my food day and night in other words, he is great distress is set in on him while they say to me all day long, "Where's your God now obviously. The psalmist had boasted of God and the intimate relationship he had with him, and now God is silent and they're mocking him, as it were. Where is your God? Which adds to it. Have you ever seen when you're not doing so well and you get the naysayers? Or or you get like uh, Job's friends who want to find out what's wrong with you. And they say, Well, you must not have faith in God or you must not trust. And they're always adding a little two bits to it, and it doesn't help at all. In fact, it exacerbates the whole situation. So he's in a crisis now. He's sitting there saying, I want to know you, God. You're being quiet. It's causing me now to become very grieved and depressed and filled with despair. What am I going to do? And he makes a very clear decision in light of this. And that's what he says and repeats it three times. He asks the question. Now he's talked to God. God, I want to know you. He's listening to the world around him and saying, where is your God? And now he's beginning to talk to himself. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? What in the world's going on? There's something inside of me that used to hold all of this reality together, and it all made sense, but it's crumbled. There's no anchor in there anymore. There's no sense of stability. I'm, I'm lost in the midst of that. I'm filled with despair. These are the emotional times that we can encounter in our lives. Um, you know, emotions, as I've been looking at this, I, you know, the question is, what are emotions? The guys got tired of me talking about this on the hike on Friday because I quizzed them rather heavily on what are emotions. And some of them even got emotional about it. And, <clears throat> But um, emotions really are good. They're the means by which we are informed, that is our mind is informed as to what's going on around us. And it's saying something to us. When, uh, you know, if we suddenly have a phone call and uh, a child has been in an accident or uh, uh, someone has died or or there and a mate has died, our emotions as we experience the grief and the shock, it's telling us something. Th- this is not a normal time. This is an unusual time. We may, we may weep. We may even burst out in anger. We, we may even have a fear aspect to that, but our emotions are, are there. They're expressing themselves. And it's okay for our emotions to say something to us. You know, we do hear people saying, well, you're just too emotional. Well, emotions are what God gave you, and He, actually, he really says that we ought to control those things, that we ought to be angry and sin not. I mean, anger is an emotion, and you can express that, but don't do it in sin. We, we, we control ourselves all the time. We can go to a funeral, and we'll see something that's kind of funny, but we don't burst out in laughter we control the emotion of laughter because it's inappropriate to laugh at a funeral, unless everybody else is, of course. But if you see a dress that looks kind of funny, you can't say, oh my goodness, that's inappropriate. (laughs) But the emotions then are saying something to us, and they're valid in that process. But then we can either become at that point in a vicious circle of our emotions, replaying the same incident over and over again and rehearsing the same emotions over and over again, or we have to inform our emotions with our mind. We actually have to speak something to our mind so that we can regain our footing. Now, in this case, what he's saying is actually saying three things. Hope in God. Look at verse 5, hope in God. And secondly, I shall again praise Him. Thirdly, for the help of His presence. He's first of all saying that when you face a situation that provokes emotion within you and it uh, gets you out of perspective or you lose your orientation, then you need to speak into those emotions. You need to say something that is true. Now, here's what happens when something devastating happens to us, and as I say, we lose that sense of perspective. One of the things we will begin to say to ourselves are untruths. And those untruths will lock us into further despair. We can say untruths such as this You don't matter, you never have mattered. What difference does it make? You'll never be any better than this. You're a loser, and most people know that. God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, you wouldn't be going through this right now. God doesn't love you. Has he ever loved you? Do you think you really have a relationship with him? These are thoughts that we actually have. I remember meeting on a late Saturday night. A man called me about his wife, and she was in a fit of great despair. And when I got there, the two things she was repeating in this process is, God does not love me, and he's left me. And I said, that's not true. And it's the truth that will set you free. You've got to understand. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll, I'll, if I've ever loved you, I will always love you. But we will begin to practice things and say things about us, Now listen very carefully. Things that are a lie that begin to sound like truth. And we act upon those things as if they are true. And so what we have to do then is inform our emotions, inform our lives with truth. When it says hope in God, I need to begin to think Not the lies, but I need to think, what is true about God? I do know that I'm valuable to God. I know that factually. I do know that He loves me. I do know that He died for me. I do know that He became my personal Savior. I do know that He's given me a new name written in glory. I do know that I'm His child. I do know that He's empowered me with the Spirit of God. I do know that He has plans for me. And I do know that I have value to God and I have purpose in life. I know those things. I may not feel them. It may not change the circumstances, but it, it changes my thinking in relationship to those circumstances. So we have to speak truth to ourselves. God is here, God is in control, God is allowing this to happen. And our temptation then, and we see this in the psalmist here, our temptation is to ask why, when, and where instead of who. And here it is. You see that, for example, in verse 2. When shall I come? When shall I come and appear before God? And he says in verse 9, you are my rock. But then he says, why have you forgotten me? Verse, goes on in verse 9. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Why, when, what, where, but not who. And if we can come back, because this is what he's saying. He said, I'm going to hope in God. The only certainty in our life that is consistent, that is unchanging, is God. And when it says, I hope in God, it is that not maybe it will turn out or maybe it won't. It is the expectation of certainty. I know these things to be true. And furthermore, he says, not only do I know these truths, whatever those truths are that you finally camp on that are truths that are defined by the word of God then truths you've experienced at other times in your life whatever they are but the next thing you can come to is to say what he says here I shall again praise him better days are coming it's miserable right now but it's always not going to be this way and if you've lived life at all You've been through those times where it's really, really been hard, and then suddenly all of that turns about. You didn't have the job, and you got it. The medical report wasn't good, but then it returned about in a reversed way, or on and on it goes. But whatever, I know for a fact that I will, because every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, I know for a fact Because I'm a child of God, and I've been born again by the power of God, and I'm going to be brought into the presence of God, I know for a fact I'm going to worship God again. That's a choice, folks. That's a choice in the midst of your circumstances. And then I love the third thing that he reminds himself of in the midst of that is is, uh, for the help of his presence. God, not only do I know that you're in control— But I know you can help me. I know you care. I know you're a sovereign God, and I will embrace you in the midst of that. So there's a clear choice that we have to make in the midst of of those times of despair or depression. I can either choose to rehearse the lies that I emotionally feel in my head and in my life, and I can rehearse them long enough till they become a truth of operation. Or I can deliberately, in spite of my circumstances, redirect my thoughts and say, I'm going to remember who my God is. I'm going to remember what He has planned for me. I want to remember that He's here and available to me. Every one of us, every one of us have a choice to which direction we go. Now, it may take us a while to get to that point of understanding of how to stay in there, but the process has to begin I have to start out with drawing focus on God. Well, this is when he desired to go into the presence of God, and God is not answering him. And there's no indication that even as a result of him saying these words to himself, that God changed anything there. But he was at least speaking truth to himself. So what he decides in this next group of thoughts here, verses uh, 6 through 11, he says, I'm going to talk to God again whether he talks to me or not, I'm going to talk to him again. Notice that in verse 6. Oh, my God, that's him talking then to God. My soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the peaks of Hermon of the Mount of Mitzvah. I'm going to remember you. This is similar to what we talked about in Psalm 77. I'm going to remember. I don't think we rehearse often enough the good times we have with God. I don't think we remember enough the time that we were involved in that home Bible study and the intimacy of that group and how we prayed for each other and how God answered prayer and how we celebrated each other. and uh, we, It was wonderful. Or I can remember in my own life the time of going back to a conference back in Louisville and hearing how many men were there, probably 9,000. Men and women, but but to hear the predominant voice was men that were there. And having them stand up and sing, oh, that was wonderful. I mean, it was just wonderful. That was a good time. I can remember the time that I was in uh, Thailand, and (laughs) I had heard word when I was in um, Papua New Guinea that the main speaker for this conference couldn't show up, got sick, And they asked me if I would be the speaker there. I'm traveling there right now. Oh, of course. And these were all linguists. These are all smart guys and women, you know. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to teach them. And I've got, of course, I've had all this time to prepare. You know, I'm on the plane. What else are you going to do? You know, you're going to go there. i want to tell you something. And I remember this. God showed up. God showed up. And I remember that. And even as I tell you that now, it brings joy to my heart. I can remember the time I baptized my kids. I can remember the time I learned a new truth from God's Word. I can remember the time when God showed up in a special way. He says, I would choose to remember you. I'm going to remember you. And then he comes down here to verse 11 again and asks the question because he says, I'm still trying to recondition myself so that I can face life on a real basis. He says, why are you in despair? Verse 11, oh, my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Even when I remember, and I'm going to tell you some of the things he remembered in just a moment, but even as he remembered, he knew that there was some basic instruction that he had to follow. I have to remember what is true. I have to remember I'm a child of God. I have to remember that he died for me. I have to remember that my sins have been forgiven. I have to remember that he's a sovereign God in control. I have to remember those things. And the reason I have to keep reminding myself to be, uh, embrace those things is because the voice of lies inside of me and around me is speaking to me in volumes. And I have to say what is true. And I have to remember that it may be difficult now, but better days are coming. If not here, even on planet Earth, I know that God is going to prepare a place for me that where he is, I'll be there also. I know that better days are coming. And not only this, I know my God helps me. He helps me. He helps me. Now, let's look at some of the things that he remembered here. I love this. Verse 7, he says, deep calls to deep. The sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. And I think when we're in a state of of uncertainty and depression, it's like there's no relief. It just keeps rolling over and over and over on us. And we have a hard time getting our, our, our footing under us. But notice what he says about those. He says, they're your waterfalls. They're your breakers. They're your waves. You're the one that's in control of how much pressure I'm going to be under. You're the one that's in control about how long these waves are going to roll. God, you're the one. These are your waves. You have brought them into my life for this purpose. I don't know, but it's there. You did this. And he says, I also want to remember his loving kindness in the daytime. And we rehearse some of those things about what God does for us and our redemption, and the fact that He meets our physical needs and so forth. And then he says, in verse 80 he goes on, it says, "And his song will be mine in the night." You have a special song you sing to God in the night?" I remember when I was down in Cannon Beach and I was out on the beach and it was about um, oh, it must have been I, I watched the sunset. And then I watched uh, Haystack Rock disappear into the night. And I was lying on my back in despair. I didn't move for hours. Just there. And then God gave me a song. (laughs) That I have to this day. I open up, Lord. To let your love flow in. I open up, Lord, beginning life again, to know your presence, to feel your power, to walk with you each passing hour. So fill me up, thy will to do, I'll be your servant my whole life through. So, so fill me up, thy will be done, I'll be your servant. Your race to run. You say, Well, where'd you hear that? I heard it lying on my back on the beach. There's a song. There's a song that God gave me that impacts me now. God will give you that which you need. At the same time, the, rolls are, the, the waves are rolling in, the sweetness of the melody of God is present there you. Now let's go on here. (laughs) He says, then he says, a prayer to, look at this now, the latter part of verse 8, the God of my life. You, God, are the ruler of my life, and I trust you fully. The God of my life. So when I sit down to the doctor, and he says, I've got bad news for you. And you're on stage three or stage four cancer. I say, that does not alter the fact that the God of my life is with me right now. It doesn't matter. It does in the sense of the reality of the experience, that I hold the hand of a loved one. And I watch death sweep that loved one away. He's still the God of my life. matter if I didn't get the promotion that I thought I would have. And here's the tragedy of life. In those times we don't embrace and remember the God of our lives, we pursue other gods. We make something else that could give us some temporal, immediate, materialistic, sensational feeling that will never sustain us. It will only lie to us and take life further away from us. We must come back to be anchored in this God. And then we come to the third wave that is here. And he's saying, okay, God, you're not talking to me. (laughs) And it's okay, because you've already said enough to me to last me a lifetime. You're not talking to me. In fact, not only have you talked to me, I've remembered a lot of those things. It's been a sweet time for me now, Lord. And these people that are around me, like like in, in verse 2 that says, where is your God? In verse 10, where is your God? Those who mock me in this third wave of experience of talking to God, hearing others, and then talking to myself, he says this. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God. He's talking to God now. And plea my case against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitfulness and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Now, he says, it's really interesting. <laughs> I love the, I love the, uh, the statement and then the confusion, because I think that's where we are. Look for example up here when he says verse nine, I will say to to God, my rock, God, you're the place of my secure foundation. Then I say right after that, why have you forgotten me? Now, don't you understand when you're going through those difficult times, how absolutely irrational you can be? God, you're my rock. Why'd you leave me? You know, and here he's saying, uh, you know, uh, this is all going on around. God, you're my strength. Why have you rejected me? Look at that verse 2. I'm not saying when we go through depression that we're logical. We're entitled to a little bit of insanity. But it's balanced. The truth is balanced there. So what he says is, uh, why do I mourn? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Now look what he's asking to take place there. Verse 3. Oh, send out your light, your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your uh, dwelling place. Now, let me just tell you what's going on here a little bit. On the one hand, there is, he's in a context of ungodliness. Now, we, we can relate to that. Increasingly, the culture that we're living in is becoming un godly. It is not only a, a, the failure to recognize God, but it's becoming open warfare against God. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves being uh, saturated by the voices around us that begin to dictate the course of action we ought to take. And he's saying, these voices may be out there just because they're mouthing things off doesn't mean it's true and doesn't mean they have validity in my life or even have a place or entitled to a place in my life. Please use what God has given you, a remote control with an on and off button. You don't have to listen to the rhetoric of lies and foolishness and stupidity. I don't have to listen to that. They may want to believe that. They want to tell me, you know, and and I think that it's going to get worse. But I know what I can do. I'm going to go to light. I'm going to go to truth. And then I want, to, I want you to see that when I'm calling out to God, there is a process of deeper intimacy. Look at this, verse 3. He says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them uh, lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill that's the first place, and then to your dwelling place, that's the temple, and then to your altar, which is the place where I find my greatest relationship with you, and it's established so that I might experience exceeding joy, and there I will find, I will praise you, my God. The steps of his thinking and the steps of vindication is drawing him into a deeper intimacy with God. And then he says to remind himself again, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? I think we have an answer to that now. It's because at times in our lives, we lose focus on God. We fail to recognize who he is and what he's done for us. And he says, I'm going to correct that. Hope in God. Speak truth to my soul. Know the truth about God. And then he says, I know I'm going to praise him again. I will praise him again. And he was there, he will be there to help me. So as I wrap this up, what am I saying? What is the psalmist saying there? When you're going through just a summary statement. When you're going through dark difficult times, the mind will tell you things that are not true. And you may have heard this in the message. We need to do three things. We need, first of all, to remember and recall God's truth. We need to remember there's a bright future. This will not go on. Momentary light affliction, not to be compared to the eternal weight of glory, the way Paul puts it. And thirdly, we need to remember there is a God who cares and he can help Paul summarizes it this way in Romans 15, verse 13. Now, may the God of hope, He is the the reservoir of hope, that confident expectation of certainty. May the God of hope fill you, that is, to take every available space within you, and in that space put joy and peace in you. And in so doing, believing that you may not only have it sufficient for you, but may abound in hope so that it spills out of you into the lives of others. And all of that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. There will be times of the dark night of the soul. There will be times that you are depressed and there will be times circumstantially that will cause you to mourn and weep and lose your orientation. I understand that. I'm not even faulting you for that. I'm not even criticizing you for that. But I'm going to let you know that you don't have to live there forever. You may dwell there for a little while, but you don't have to live there forever. There is a way out. And I think we've spoken to that. Amen? Yeah.